Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is... is- the Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to The Science of Motherhood. This is episode 42. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White, and my other co-host, Dr. Mika Batucci, is going to be back in the next episode. We've got something very new and exciting for you, so stay tuned for that one. Um, Who are we? Well, we are the Dynamic Duo. Uh, We are from Fill Your Cup Postpartum Doulas. We um, look after mothers after the birth of their little bubbers here in Hobart and in Melbourne. We've got a team of seven doulas. Um, So a big shout out to Caitlin and Amanda and Georgie and Kate and Samara as well. And together we are Australia's first doula village. Um, What does that mean? So we, I guess, are a collection of women who focus on nurturing and nourishing newborn mamas. So Mika and I both are biochemists by trade. And so we have over 16 years worth of health and medical education under our belts. And what do we do with that information? Well, postpartum and pregnancy nutrition is totally our jam. And so here at Fill Your Cup, we prize ourselves on making beautifully nourishing and repleting food for our mamas because we know from the research that food is not only beneficial for your physical recovery but also your mental recovery and with statistics like one in seven mothers um, experiencing postnatal depression and or anxiety we at Fill Your Cup believe that making sure that our mamas have beautiful access to nourishing meals in home and having a supportive doula as part of their postpartum journey is fundamental to their recovery. So if you are a new mama or you're pregnant and you're thinking, oh girl, I would really like some help um, once my bubba has arrived or if you're having a bit of a tough time and you're thinking, I would really like a nourishing meal. I would really love someone to hold my baby while I go have a hot shower and just have some time and space to myself then we are your girls. If you want to head over to ifillyourcup.com, you can have a look at all of our in-home services. You can have a Fill My Cup Day, which P.S. is a fantastic baby shower gift. So it's a three-hour session with one of our doulas and we come in and we make you beautiful, nourishing food. You get a main meal and snacks and we fold your laundry and, you know, hold your bubby while you go do some meditation or go have a sleep or something like that. Much more valuable than a onesie. 
just putting it out there. So if you're interested in our doula services, head over to ifillyourcup.com. We also have a range of Fill Your Cup food products as well, including our best sellers, which are our Choc Goji lactation cooking mix. My God, amazing. All organic, high in protein, and is the perfect 3 a.m. snack for any mama. So you can get yourself a mother load pack, which includes our cookie mix, our creamy coconut dal mix, which is first in market to contain organic chicken bone broth, and as well as our postpartum recovery sits. So enough about us. I have been burning to get this guest on our podcast for some time. And as you'll hear from the interview, she is the last piece to the puzzle. As you will probably recall, if you are a long-time listener, we have had the pleasure of interviewing Professor Hannah Darlin, who is one of the leading researchers in midwifery out of um, University of New South Wales. And we recently interviewed Bernadette Lack from Core Floor and Restore, who is a pelvic floor specialist and also a midwife. And today we have the absolute pleasure of completing that puzzle. We have Melanie Jackson, who you may all know as Melanie the Midwife um, on her socials. So Melanie um, is actually a doctor, PS, by PhD. This is a clever cookie, this girl. Mel Jackson, she's a private practicing midwife who lives in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, Australia. And she's also a researcher at Western Sydney University. She hangs out with Hannah Darlin. They've published a few papers together. But one of her recent amazing kind of contributions to this space is Mel's new podcast called The Great Birth Rebellion that she has started and is partnering with from with B from Core Floor and Restore. And it has just gone absolutely gangbusters. So get over to their podcast if you've been sleeping under a rock and haven't heard about it. You definitely need to go and put those into your hot little ears. She spends a lot of time mentoring midwives and helping them move into their own private practice for midwifery. And you'll hear at the end of the interview, Mel has an amazing announcement, which is very, very relevant if you are listening in real time, because something hot is coming. It is Mel's private practice mentor group, and it is only opened once a year so it is going to sell out like get over there (laughs) get over this fast to her website so melaniethemidwife.com melanie is not just a midwife and podcast host extraordinaire she also is a wife and a mother to two children on their five acre farmstead where they grow veggies and tend to goats and chickens and bunnies and quails and their beautiful fur baby, their Border Collie. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. It is a topic that I've been wanting to speak very candidly with someone about for quite some time, and Mel definitely brings the honesty card to this interview. We talk about, I guess, the Australian birth system, the maternity care system, where did it all go wrong, 
what can people do to kind of inform themselves, empower themselves, educate themselves about the particular birthing system and, and I guess, you know, environment that they want to birth in. And then, you know, as I said, how did we get here and what can we do to fix it? Mel is just such an amazing woman because you can feel the passion in her voice as to, you know, how we are going to assist women with birthing in a really safe place because birth can be and is a very vulnerable environment for many, many women. And so I ask a few kind of hard-hitting questions and she answers them just so beautifully and so honestly, like it, the level of honesty in this and authenticity in this interview is just second to none and probably hear me go on and on and on about it at the end of the interview. I just really appreciated that. I think it's something that we need to kind of, you know, level with as women and as mothers walking into these systems because I have experienced it myself and we need to understand what the realities are and be able to arm ourselves with information and educate ourselves and empower ourselves with the decisions that we're making. And Mel is someone who understands the system very, very well and also provides an amazing opportunity for mothers to birth in environments which they are extremely safe in and she's even written a research paper on it so this woman is an expert i hope that you find some nuggets of gold and just snippets of 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 value in this episode i'm sure you will and for all those playing at home if you are looking at becoming a private practicing midwife Mel, as I said, has opened the doors to her mentorship, which she only does once a year. Now is the time. The doors will close in a matter of days. So head over to her website, melaniethemidwife.com. And you can also find her on Instagram and Facebook at Melanie the Midwife. Without further ado, it is... Dr. Melanie Jackson. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Melanie Jackson, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. It's super sunny here in Hobart. What's the weather like there for you guys at the minute? So I'm in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales and it's raining. Oh. Yes, it's cold and rainy. Okay. How ironic. Everyone thinks that down south here in Hobart, it's just like a shit show. But um, no, it is it is picture perfect here. I think we're in for like a week of rain after this, so we'll take it while we can. Yes. Um, Mel, everyone would have heard from the introduction that you are just dynamite. And <laughs> I think from memory my invitation to you was... I've interviewed Professor Hannah Darlin. I've interviewed B, Bernadette Lack from Call Flora and Restore. And now you are the missing piece to the puzzle. And I am just beyond excited to have you on the podcast because I've been wanting to talk to someone for quite some time about the Australian birthing system. 
and Mm -hmm. the state that it is currently in. And I guess that I don't think I'm alone in the sense that a lot of people out there, particularly, I feel like you've got kind of two camps. One is first-time mums who are unsure of what the state the system is currently in and they're fed a narrative that it's peaches and cream and uh, if you pay a lot of money to get a private obstetrician, then you're going to get the red carpet service and everything is going to be fairy floss and rainbows. I was in that camp, okay, and then you experience the system and you go, I want a refund because yeah. I'm calling BS on that. So in today's chat, I would love to talk to you obviously about the system, where it all went wrong, how you think we got here, and maybe some insights into if you had, I guess, uh, if you had all the power in the world, Mel, what would you do? Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to you start thinking about that because um, I kind of pose that idea to people because I love to hear what you think are the solutions to these these issues. But let's set the scene, Mel. Who are you? How did you end up in private midwifery practice? Like obviously there was something going on. You were obviously in the hospital system at some stage. How did you get to this point? Okay. I'm going to give you the short version. Yeah, okay. Okay, so short version is my very first degree was in naturopathy. So I originally was a naturopath when I left school and started and did uni. And so immediately my mindset had this understanding that the body is powerful, powerful enough to function and powerful enough to heal and powerful enough to work itself out. And so when I entered into midwifery, I had that mindset Mm. that the body is clever, that it works, that it can do what it needs to do to thrive and survive and be healthy and make babies and birth babies eventually, you know. Mm. So I entered into midwifery already with this idea that birth was a normal event and that I wanted to work with it, you know. And then I went to uni and it's all beautiful because they tell you all about the evidence and physiological birth and how to be with women and how great the body is and what it can do. And then you go into hospital and do your placement as a student. And I worked for a year as a student midwife. So I went through the system where, well, the training where you work for four days in a hospital as a student midwife. So you're employed. Mm -hmm. So they give you things to do. And then you go to uni one day a week to learn how to be a midwife. So I was exposed to the hospital for four days a week, watching what was happening to women on the side, reading every single book I could get my hands on about physiological birth and how the body works. And simultaneously, a friend of mine who knew I was studying to be a midwife asked if I would come to her home birth. Mm. Did I come and see her home birth? That was the first I heard about home birth. And so I thought, gosh, she's going to have me at her birth. I need to work out what my role is in that space. So I started reading and came across Spiritual Midwifery by Ina Mae Gaskin. Yep. So that's like the gateway drug to home birth. <laughs> 
I love that. Right? Anybody, if you read Ina May, all of a sudden you're a convert and you want to either be a doula or a home birth midwife or have a home birth or join a hippie commune, whatever you get inspired to do. But basically it will change your life reading that book. And it changed my whole perspective on what I was going to do as a midwife. So right from almost from the beginning, I'm like, I'm going to be a midwife and I'm going to be a home birth midwife. Mm-hmm. And back then you it was not the rigmarole that it is now to try and get into private practice. Right. So I just wreaked havoc through the hospital, pissed everybody off with my ideas of physiological birth and letting women walk around in labor and all these things that were just like poo-pooed in the hospital. So much so that the educator who looked after all the students, she sort of pulled me aside and she said, you know, you can't stay here, right? Oh. Right. In a, in a beautiful way, in a way of like don't think that your career path is through a hospital. Right. Okay. She identified the little rebel in me and I was like, I know, I know I'm not going to stay. I'm going to be a home birth midwife. And she said, that's a good idea. Right. Right. So she was like, don't stay here. She said, we will destroy you. Oh, wow. Yeah. I said, I know. I know that. That's why I'm going to be a home birth midwife. She's like, good. I'm glad we've got that sorted. We will see you out your student year, but, you know, do yourself a favor. Don't apply for a job here. And I was like, fine, totally fine, because I know we don't align. And I know that I'm just going to upset a lot of people with these ideas that bodies work and that we should just stay out of the way so that women can have their babies. So then I just stubbornly committed to private practice. I was a student midwife and then I was a private midwife. So I've never worked as a registered midwife in a hospital. Whoa, wow. Okay. I love that. Can we unpack a little bit of this? Because there's a few things that like spring to mind for me. I would love to know. So when are we talking? When were you a student midwife? What, like 2008. Okay. 2008. So, yeah. 2008, 2009, I was taking on clients who were planning home births. I love this. I love this. I love this. So 2008. Okay. So it's really like, like in the scheme of things, it's really not that long ago as well. But yeah, 14 years. Yeah. 14, it'll be my 14th year in private practice. So what were the types, if you're comfortable talking about this, what were the types of things that you were seeing in the hospital that you were just like, for God's sakes, can we just like let that go? Right. Well, I saw well, healthy women walking into a place that is designed to look after sick, unwell people who need supervision over their bodily processes. Mm. So well, healthy women were walking in and then they were leaving damaged. Yeah. Damaged by the care, I'm using inverted commas, that we gave them, so much of which I just thought was unnecessary and imposed on birth that didn't need to happen. And when I say unnecessary interventions, interventions in hospital are routine. So they have a formula. I call it birth by numbers. There's a birth by numbers formula in hospital. When you walk in, the midwife has a step-by-step process, and I'm being very generalized here, Mm step-by-step process of what they know they need to do based on the facility that they work in 
there's an expectation that they follow the steps. Someone arrives, they go to the desk, they get their name in the computer, they have a CTG monitor put on to check the baby, they get a vaginal exam to see if they're even allowed in the birth unit, full set of OBS, you know, temperature, blood pressure, all these things, like trying to weed out, are you a sick person? Do, what can we do for you in this birth process? Mm. And then women are either sent home or brought into the birth unit and there's just no acknowledgement of where that individual woman is up to in her labour, what her needs are, anything like that. It's just like you walk in, here's the formula that by which we will care for you and what we know now is that one-third of women will move through that process and leave with profound trauma around their birth experience. Mm. And that one in 10 women are actually being assaulted, have experienced obstetric violence through the care that's been given to them in hospital. So I question why women, what the, the benefit of sending every woman through a hospital is if we know that one in 10 of them will receive be the victim of obstetric violence and one in three of them will leave that journey with trauma relating to what happened to them and not necessarily about the outcome because two-thirds of that trauma is about how they were treated by their care providers. Mm. So that immediately to me says, isn't there something wrong with this system if women aren't coming out better or as good as when they walked in? And even as a student midwife, I could see the abuse and the unnecessary use of interventions on well people that left them in poorer condition than when they arrived. Mm. And so to clarify, I guess, for the listeners, what type of interventions are we talking about here? Because I think, you know, for some people who are new to this, I'm going to call it, you know, the pregnancy and birth game you know, they probably they might view intervention as just a cesarean or something like that. What what type of inter- interventions are we are we talking about here, Mel? Basically anything that's done to you in labor that's not in response to something that's going wrong is what I would call an unnecessary intervention. So birth has a natural trajectory by which it will take itself. Very much like when you have a period, when you do a wee, when you do a poo, when you digest your food. there's Your body has a process that it goes through that it can do without our input. Mm. Birth is the same. So it's part of our normal bodily process. So if you just sit back and watch birth, it will still do its thing most of the time. And I'm a home birth midwife. So most of my job is sitting back and watching things happen and only adding to that experience if needed, like if there's a need for my clinical expertise or guidance or support or knowledge, 90% of the time I do nothing at birth other than, you know, I do listen to the baby's heartbeat. But anything else such as vaginal examinations, you know, in hospital they're routinely done every two to four hours depending on where you are. I mean, really, any kind of monitoring on the baby's heart rate is an intervention in the birth process. It's interrupting what that woman's body is trying to do to get the baby out. Mm. Some interventions are 
incredibly healing and positive and can bring back a birth onto the trajectory that it needs to go so that it all works out beautifully. So those are what we would call necessary interventions where we've identified a situation that's unusual in that labour or that is starting to turn pathological and thinking, well, actually, we've got a remedy for this. We can we can fix that so that this woman and baby can go on to to be born as a mother and a, and a baby and be well and healthy. Interventions such as vaginal exams, interrupting the woman to ask questions. I mean, when you're in labor, your brain moves out of a space where it can answer questions. Women aren't in the, the, the brain that they need to be in to answer questions or make decisions. They go into what's called the limbic, limbic system which is a subconscious primitive brain that allows the body to have the hormonal process it needs to have to have your baby. If you start asking women questions, even like, do you want a drink of water? Women have to engage their brain and ask themselves, do I want a drink of water? I don't know. I don't know if I want a drink of water. So every time you drag a woman out of that, you're interrupting the process her body's trying to do. And so any intervention that sort of anything that interrupts the normal physiological process is an intervention. Some interventions result in the woman being and the baby being healthier than they would have without those interventions. Some interventions introduce new risks into the birth process that weren't there before. Mm, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And like, you know, my understanding is, you know, for example, on the vaginal examinations and you flag the point that they happen routinely every two to four hours, you know, depending on your level of dilation, it's not linear. So you can go from two centimetres dilated to 10 centimetres dilated, like what, in half an hour or something like that? It just depends on your body. So to turn around and say, oh, no, we're going to have to wait another X amount of hours or whatever it is, I think that's one of the, I guess, misconceptions as well around, like, the system. And as you say, it seems like it's so regimented and, like, everyone's there to tick a box. Yep, done that, done that, done that, job secure, you know, type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I guess that's what I want to touch on. Like, where do you think this has all gone wrong? Like, is it the policies? Is it fear of, like, something going wrong in the hospital? And they're like, okay, well, we we checked all these boxes and so that means that we are okay, like, from a legal standpoint. Where do you think this all went wrong? Oh, I know exactly where it went. Oh, good. I saw it. This is why I got you on now. I knew. Here we go. Here we go, everyone. Turn it up. Turn it up now. Turn it up now. I have the answer. So here's where it went wrong. Birth is not a medical event, but the way that medicine works, the way that the the way that doctors work and the way that medicine works is that it pulls normal physiological things into the medical jurisdiction and gives it a name, a medical name, and calls it a problem. And when they give it a medical name and call it a medical problem, 
they now have jurisdiction over how to treat, I'm using inverted commas, how to treat that problem. Mm. So medicine is all about identifying a problem. Okay, we found a problem. Some problems are legitimate. If you have high blood pressure, that's a legitimate problem. There could be a legitimate medical answer for that problem. The thing is, is that childbirth is not a problem and it's not illness, but it's been labeled as illness by medicine so that they now have jurisdiction over treating that illness. And so what, and this is called the process of medicalization. And it's happened across other things, not just childbirth. So there's the medicalization of sexual dysfunction, where all of a sudden they're telling us, oh, there's a pill for the fact that you can't orgasm or can't get an erection and all these things, failing to see all the other factors that could be linked to that. So Childbirth is not the only thing to be medicalized, but that's what we're talking about today. So normal bodily function is women giving birth. Medicine goes, ooh, we could really benefit from supervising every every single birth event. Let's call it a problem. Let's tell people it's dangerous and that they could die from it and their baby could die from it. And it's so dangerous that we've made experts whose job it is to keep you all safe in this dangerous medical event. So we've put all of those people in this hospital. And if you're pregnant and you're having a baby, just come to us because you're sick and you need treatment every single step of the way. You need to be medically supervised by this expert because your body could go wrong at any time and you and your baby could die. And so it's scary come to us. We'll keep you safe. We've got all the answers. We can give you the medicine. We can give you the interventions to make sure you stay safe during this very dangerous process. The problem is, is that's a big fat lie, right? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So what medicine does is they position themselves as the expert and as the authority. And then they go around waving their big authoritative stick and saying, oh, childbirth, that's dangerous. And then everybody slowly in society starts to believe the message that childbirth is dangerous. And then they pass the message on and then they share horror stories and they tell everyone about how they nearly died and how, how good it was that they had somebody there to save them from this horrendously dangerous process. That, so it's a good story. And yeah, if childbirth was super dangerous and we needed every single woman to be supervised, then hospital is a really beautiful option. The problem is, is that birth is not that dangerous and it's not so dangerous that every single woman needs to have their journey supervised by a clinical expert. And the problem is, is that because it's been brought under the medical jurisdiction, every single woman now, almost every single woman in Australia, 98% of women, go to hospital to have their babies under the extreme lie that that's where they're safest because that's where the medicine and the experts are. Mm. What the evidence shows us is that actually if you are a woman with with, uh, no risk factors, so you're well and healthy and your baby's well and healthy, you will actually do better, you're safer, as is your baby at home with a midwife. Mm. That's what the research says. There's not actually been a research paper that's proven 
that hospital is the safest place to be for every single woman. There is a time for hospital. Yes. But it's not for every single person. And that's the lie. The lie is that every single person is in danger and every single person should have their baby in hospital. And that's not true. I couldn't agree more because, again, like when I was, you know, researching about conception and pregnancy before I became pregnant, you know, you, as you say, you fed this narrative, which is, get yourself a private obstetrician. It's the best thing ever. You pay the money and you're going to get like everything and they're going to be like, it's it's almost like, as I said before, rolling out the red carpet and it's going to be amazing. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, every drug under the sun because I don't want to be in any pain because being in pain is awful and it's bad and you don't want to do that and all that kind of stuff. And then like in hindsight, it's an awful thing because I got to 36 weeks pregnant thinking I'm going to just have a vaginal like birth. That's exactly what I wanted the entire time. And then my brain started to spiral because I had too much time on my hands. It was the first time I'd like ever pretty much taken um, time off my whole entire life. Um, and I started to think about the system that I was about to walk into and I was thinking, wow, that birthing class was rubbish. I don't feel like I'm prepared at all. And, oh, um, yeah, that um, obstetrician that I paid like thousands of dollars for, I'm not actually guaranteed to have her. It could be someone else in the practice who I don't even know. Like I literally had like a 10-minute consultation with this person and I started to freak out because it came back to that continuity of care. I'm like, no, no, I I, I wanted that one. I wanted that doctor because that's why I called because I really like her. And now you're telling me that I'm going to turn up and it's a lucky dip? Yeah. Like, and there was two um, obstetricians part of the practice who I just didn't connect with. Like we just weren't like, you know, you know how you said before with you and B and you were just like, we're going to vibe on this new podcast. I was not vibing with these ladies. <laughs> let me just tell you, let me just tell you. And I, th- I knew, I knew that I was like, if I walk in and I'm in labour and I am met with one of those two women, it's all over. Like yeah. the psychology, it's it would be psychological warfare for me. And I would just be like, that's it. I'm not doing this. And we're out. Not like I'm not doing it. So I ended up choosing an elective cesarean because I had to, I had to get control back from, yeah. the, from the system that yeah. I so like threw all my money into. Yes. And only then did I feel comfortable about what was going on. Now, like, you know what transpired afterwards like it was fine like like it was a great procedure I loved it I made it my own but again I think understanding that private and I would love to hear like what your opinion on this is but private versus public like I didn't feel apart from the hotel stay which honestly (laughs) we opted in for because I was like if I hear one more code gray uh-huh. At 4 a.m., I'm going, like, it's not 
like it's not going to end well at all for yeah. me. Like the anxiety, and like as you say, like every hour they were coming in, oh, we just need to check your obs. Yeah. And I'm like, I've just got back to sleep from yeah. my baby. Can you just back off for a second? So I totally, I totally feel you on that. And the over medicalization of everything is just yeah. something that I don't think a lot of women like. It's it's on the agenda now. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of voices now and a lot of awareness. But, but you know what? There's a lot of voices and awareness because we're in it. I, yes. I, yeah. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's still only a small percentage of people, firstly, even know about the benefits of midwifery care and the idea that birth is a normal event. Yeah. And because we're in it, like I hang out with home birthers and homeschoolers and veggie gardeners all day long and I just think everybody lives that way. Yeah. And then I get a surprise when like one of the pieces of that puzzle is missing for somebody. I'm like, why? What's happened? I know. Is it? It's, it is. What, what happened for you during COVID? Because I guess we we launched Fill Your Cup in the middle of 2020 and we saw, you know, from kind of little awareness, little interest in doula care to, holy crap, we cannot meet demand. Like it yes. just went from zero to wow in like two seconds flat. And I guess from our perspective, I felt like women were starting to kind of take that control back and go, actually, you know what? You can't tell me how many people I can have in the hospital to support me. And you can't change your opinion every single week as to what's going to happen and who's going to be there and how I'm going to birth. And, you know, gave them the bird and were, you know, the amount of home births that we were kind of walking into like in the postpartum kind of section just skyrocketed. What was it like for you? Did you notice a huge uptick and and almost like this shift in awareness and also people going, yeah, I'm all in on this? Yeah. So here's what happened in COVID. The hospital has always, always restricted women's choice. They have always had the upper hand with what is allowed and what's not allowed in hospitals. The problem is, is that was subtle and it was hidden and women didn't discover it until they got there Mm. and then there was a bait and switch and all of a sudden their choices and options and autonomies getting taken in the process of birth. Yeah. So often birth is an awakening where women go, oh, my gosh, I was not respected in that process. I did not have control the control lied with the hospital setting. And what COVID did was expose that completely Mm. when the hospital started putting in rules and restrictions on women and their families and how many support people they could have and who could come. And if you're vaccinated, you can come. But if you're not vaccinated, you can't come. And all these strict rules applied to women's access to that service. What women didn't realise is their control and access to that service is always hinged on the rules that the hospital has in place but it was a lot more subtle so all COVID did was expose the truth about the restrictions in hospital Mm. it made it a lot more obvious and so women were like what 
you can't tell me what to do. Well, actually, the hospital can tell you what to do because when you enter into a hospital, there's a subconscious understanding that that's no longer your territory. That's medicine territory. That's medical territory. That territory belongs to your care <coughs> providers and belongs to the experts. And they assume that if you've come to their facility, that you are there to benefit from everything that they can give you. And so there is a real savior complex element. When women arrive to the hospital, there's an assumption that they're there because they want the type of care that the hospital is going to offer them. So what happened during COVID is women, it, it got, it went too far. And women were like, you can't tell me how many people I can have. You also can't tell them what they have to or don't have to put in their bodies in, in order to enter your facility. And so it was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back as far as I'm concerned. And it just exposed the system for what it is. Yeah. This over-controlling institution <coughs> that puts restrictions on what people are allowed to do and not allowed to do in their facility. So what happened to me during COVID was that I had to take my phone number off the internet. <laughs> I I yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I literally said to my husband, I want you to go to the internet and find all the places through which people could find my phone number and take it off. Wow. Because I was sitting in appointments with my clients who had booked months and months and months in advance, yeah. who were going to have their babies. And I'm, and it was just phone call after phone call after phone call. Are you available? Can you be my midwife? I don't want to go to hospital. I want to have a home birth now. And it got to the point where I just would not answer unknown numbers. Wow. And it was insane. I reckon, so in a normal week, I used to get four or five inquiries a week. And the nature of my work now, having been in private practice for 14 years, it means that I usually turn away about half, two-thirds of the women who inquire about my service, I just can't take on. Mm. So that was familiar. I counted 30 inquiries um, one week. That wow. was the week I said to my husband. Um, so people could only contact me through email and then even then I was screening people very heavily for location, gestation, all these things. I was like, I can't take you on. Nope, 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 nope. Like there was a there was a metric system for how do we how do we triage these inquiries was basically what happened God. during COVID. Yes. So I don't think it's new. I don't think it's a new thing where hospitals put, are putting restrictions on women. It just became obvious and unacceptable to women. Oh, my goodness. And then they started to yeah, opt for home birth. I have, I have a question around, uh, I guess, if, if a woman is looking like she's pregnant or not even pregnant yet, you know, I mean, we're getting, we had an inquiry the other day about a woman who hadn't even <laughs> conceived her baby and she was like, I really love what you do. How do I get on board? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> conception yes, first. I have a, I have a preconception wait list. Inquiry. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. And now, you know what? I love the fact that women are already educating themselves and empowering themselves with information because I guess 
I walked in so blind and I, like, this is why we started Fill Your Cup because I was like, I don't want anyone to ever experience a postpartum like I did. Uh And so if someone is investigating around, you know, where they would like to birth their baby, whether it be a home birth or a midwife practice group as part of a hospital or a private hospital, what do you think are the really important questions that they need to ask around that whole birthing environment and um, I guess, you know, the people that they're going to be interacting with during that process? Yes. Well, the first questions they have to ask are questions to themselves and to their partner. And the question is, is what do I believe about childbirth? And if your answer is, I believe childbirth is scary and dangerous and I and you need an expert and you need pain relief because it's it hurts and it needs to be medically supervised, then if that's where you're philosophically landing, then you need to go to a place where you can get all that because that's where you're going to feel safest. So if you're frightened of birth and you want it to be managed and you want to receive everything that a doctor or a midwife could give you in a hospital setting, then that's the location where you might feel safest. And then you can gradually start to unpack why you're scared and if that fear is rooted in reality or if they are fears that have been given to you by society. And so if you feel like you, you know, and the other thing you've got to think about is your needs. So if you're have if you have incredibly high medical needs if you're an unwell person and you need medical experts then that's an important element to your care if you have diabetes you need an endocrinologist if you have a thyroid issue you need an endocrinologist mm. if you have you know a heart condition you need an expert involved in your care at some point so i think you need to firstly ask yourself where you sit philosophically And if you sit in a camp where you think all of that stuff, all the medical stuff's necessary, then you know where to focus your energies on finding a team. If you're sitting in a camp where you're like, not too scared of birth, actually, and I do believe it's a normal physiological process and I'm confident in my body and I'm a well, healthy person, then you've got a huge range of options because you could choose a home birth with a midwife. You could choose an MGP, a midwifery group practice program through a hospital, which means you'll get a midwife that takes you all the way through your pregnancy, would hopefully be there for your birth and give you the early postpartum care that you would need instead of seeing lots of different people through (laughs) your care in a hospital setting. (coughs) And then what the, the trick to satisfying care is matching your needs to what your care provider can give you. So if a woman tried to hire me as a home birth midwife and said, all I really want is an epidural and an elective caesarean section, <laughs> I would say to her, there's there's been a mismatch in your expectation of me. You know, I can't give you that in so much as if you walked up to a private obstetrician who worked in a private hospital who's you know, in private hospitals and private obstetricians have the highest percentage of intervention of any of the models of care that you could choose. 
If you entered into that kind of a model with a private obstetrician, with a surgeon at a location that has a 70% cesarean section rate, and you say, I want to have an intervention-free vaginal birth in the water without anybody bothering me, there's a profound mismatch in what your preferences are to who you've chosen to look after you. Mm. So you first have to work out what do you want? Do you want an uninterrupted birth that only gives you intervention at the time where you specifically need it because something's going wrong? And if that's the case, you need to pursue with, with passion, pursue a midwifery model of care. Even if it's not at home, if you have a midwife as your care provider, you are like, I mean, how do I explain it? You are so, so much more likely to get the birth experience and the birth that you anticipated. And actually on my social media profile, Melanie the Midwife, I have a graphic there called the medicalization spectrum. And if you click on that button, you'll see the the spectrum from least medical to most medical birthing options. And then you know, you're invited to examine your own beliefs and preferences for birth and then plot yourself along that graph and see who might be the best care provider for you because that element of having control over your birth is the most important thing when we think about satisfaction for women and reducing the amount of trauma that you might experience from your birth. And my PhD was called Birth Outside the System. And it explored the motivations of women who choose free birth, so giving birth at home without any care providers, mm. and also the other option of where women choose to have a midwife giving birth at home, but the women themselves or their babies have risk factors that would normally exclude them from a home birth program if they went through a public system. Okay. But these two options are outside the system. And when I looked at that inf- that area, what became obvious is that women who choose those choices to free birth or have a high-risk home birth, the motivations to do that are exactly the same as women on the other end of the spectrum who choose to have elective cesarean sections like what you were talking about because those two options represent a profound level of control over their birth experience where they've been able to call the shots, they've been able to get exactly what they wanted, they could be in the place, the time, the people, they could choose so much. And so they're two different choices, but both rooted in the desire Mm -hmm. to have autonomy and choice within the birth process. And so it's basically an opportunity and preconception is the time to do it, an opportunity to examine what your personal fears and beliefs are about birth, if they're rooted in reality or if they've been, if they're fears that have been given to you and then making selections about who will be the best care team for you and that may or may not include, it doesn't always have to include a doctor. You know, most women will be fine without a doctor. But it could include other things like an acupuncturist and an osteopath and a naturopath and a midwife and a massage therapist and a doula. And all these different modalities are going to keep you and your baby well and healthy through your pregnancy that you should choose and pick and choose based on your needs and, you know, your your beliefs about birth. So that's the first question you need to ask is what do I believe about birth and why do I believe that? and start picking that apart and if it 
turns out that you do want, if you align with midwifery care, preconception is the time to make these decisions because the minute you're pregnant, you want to be phoning your private midwife or phoning the hospital midwifery midwifery group practice Mm. to get your spot because these services are boutique and they book out. Which is like, I just want to touch on that. So is the statistic that is it less than 8% of Australian women have access to these midwifery practice groups, yet the research shows that the continuity of care that they provide is the gold standard. Correct. So it's gold, gold, gold standard. Like I feel like we can stop researching our midwives a good idea for for Yeah, it's just like full stop. We're done. It's done. Stop wasting your money on like any other studies. Mm -hmm. Not only have we done it for midwives for women who are considered low risk, and I hate the terms low risk and high risk, but I'm going to use them because that's the general language that's going around and people get it. So at first what they used to say is, yeah, midwives are good. They're the experts in normal. They're the experts in physiology. They can look after low risk women. Totally fine without a doctor. No problem. But but high-risk women need to go to an obstetric clinic because they need to be looked after by doctors. That's the message. So there was this great research that was done in Australia called the MANGO trial, and what they did was is they they got all these women who would normally be put in the obstetric clinic and be cared for by doctors, and they gave them all a midwife. And they're like, right, let's see how these higher-risk women who would normally be cared by doctors, see how they do with midwifery care instead. So it was randomised, so they kind of kept a whole load of women in the obstetric clinic and then they gave them a matched pair with a woman who had a midwife instead. What they found was is that both the women and babies in both groups did equally as well physically. So no extra women were injured, no extra babies died, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was it was virtually equal. So you can be as well under obstetric care with height with risk factors as you are under midwifery care with risk factors but the fancy thing they found was women who had midwifery care higher levels of satisfaction higher levels of breastfeeding reduced admissions to special care nursery for the babies and it was about something like five hundred dollars cheaper per woman if they were cared for by a midwife instead of a doctor so if every single woman in Australia, and I think there's something like 300,000 births in Australia every year, if every woman in Australia was given their own midwife to care for them, regardless of risk factors, the Australian government and the medical system could save themselves $500 per woman without compromising the health of anybody, but actually improving the women's satisfaction with the level of care that they got. Mm. And so... There's enough research to show that midwifery continuity of care for women is like it creates the best outcomes, the best outcomes for, you know, it reduces the rates of stillbirth, of preterm birth, cesarean sections, like, I mean, you name it, everything. And then the idea is that midwives would be the primary caregivers for women if that's what they chose. And then as needed, we'd be able to tap into the resources of doctors and medicine and go, ooh, that's unusual. We need to speak to this other expert and get their opinion on what we should do next. So they're additional care providers. They're not the primary care provider, 
they're just called upon as needed. And the role of a midwife is to identify when things have started to become out of the range of normal and who we should talk to about what we need to do to to bring it back and to manage this risk factor. But obstetricians aren't experts in normal physiological birth. They're they're experts in complexity, which is exactly where we should focus their involvement. So they're great at complexity. And if there's a complex situation, the first person I want there is an obstetrician. If it's not a complex situation, you shouldn't invite those people in the space. And is that because the I guess their mindset is channeled into those complex natures? Are they they're searching for things to kind of over medicalize or even just medicalize? Do you think that there's like a predisposition to that? It is that what's well, happening their, or well it's their whole job yeah. is to do something. Their whole job is to do something to birth because they're pathologists. I mean, their design, their, their whole training is about taking control of a situation so it doesn't, you know, the shit doesn't hit the fan. Yeah. And so, it, so in order to, I guess, validate their presence, validate their value, uh, you know, and the financial, I guess, contribution that someone like myself has put up, do you think that there's again, that predisposition to possibly find a problem or solve something that's maybe not needing to be solved? Yes, well, and that's the process of medicalization. They represent medicine. And so anything that doesn't fit within the boundary that they've defined as normal is designed as abnormal and therefore they have jurisdiction to treat so, yeah, it's tricky. There's, I mean, we could talk about this one thing. I know, I know. I was just like thinking to myself, again, we're going to run out of time before we run out of topics. And I, I do feel like I was saying this to B, I, I was like, you're going to be back for um, part two. And maybe I'll get the two of you on at the same time because I would love to see oh. that tennis match. Um, <gasps> but I, I guess in... In the interest of, of time, Mel, and I know um, I've actually got like I've got so many questions that I've kind of written down here, but if we were to kind of wrap up, there's a few things that I wanted to touch on. Um, first of all, I know that you are a huge advocate for obviously becoming a private midwife. That is a passion that you are just getting out there, girlfriend, and I love that. Um, You have got something very important um, in the works and when this airs, it is going to be live. Do you want to let us know and the listeners, what is that? Okay. Backstory is is that to become a private midwife, it feels very complicated because there's a lot of steps and nobody in society really or government or legislation or anywhere is interested in propelling midwives into private practice. It's a challenge to the medicalization of birth to have private practice midwives walking around doing their thing. So it's not easy and women and midwives are deterred from entering into private practice because there's no clear pathway to get in. So I'm a private practice midwife and there's probably about 250 private midwives who are attending home births in all of Australia. 
And the demand, though, is outstripped by how many midwives there are. So the way I see it, the solution to this problem is to help midwives move into private practice with support so that we can meet the demand. Women are asking for private midwives. So I, just having been in the in the industry for a while, I don't like the word industry again, but we're, we're in. We're in. We're in it. Um, midwife started reaching out to me asking, how can I become a private midwife? It's, I don't get it. I don't get what I need to do next. And I was helping midwives for a long time, trying, and I just felt disappointed that I wasn't giving them enough. So I created a formal mentorship that helps midwives move from wherever they're at working in the system into private practice. And it goes for an entire year and I'm in it and I only take one cohort a year because I literally walk every single midwife through the mentorship program. There's an online course. It's got over a hundred videos and in like wow and instruction things and steps what to do next. Okay, you've done that. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do this. So there's that and the midwives get access to that for life once you're in the mentorship. They get email access to me, unlimited. So as they go through the content, they can email and go, right, this is where I'm up to. What do I need to do? How do I navigate this issue? We have monthly Zooms, which act kind of like Q&As, and we all the midwives who are in the mentorship get together. There is an online community for all the midwives in the mentorship to meet each other because what ends up happening is you find other midwives in your area who are moving into private practice and then you, everyone starts to support each other and we all have the same problems and we all troubleshoot it all together. Then there's another, there's a whole Facebook community of every midwife who's already been through the mentorship. And so what I do is like, because I only open it one time a year, mm-hmm. it literally is open for five days. Oh. I take all the enrollments and then I close it. So it opens on October 24th. Yep. And closes on October 28th. Okay. So wherever, whenever this is airing, probably if you're hearing this yeah. and it's TikTok. October 20, yeah, between the 24th and the 28th of October in 2022, uh, then you can enroll in the mentorship. It, yeah, like I said, it goes for an entire year. And yes. How many people it, do you take? I haven't capped it yet, but I might need to. So, to, so far it's been running for two years yep. and 76 midwives have done it. Wow. Yes. So that, and when you think about that, when you think about there's only 250 midwives who are doing home birth, yeah. if we can add 30 or 40 every year for the next 10 years, like we could triple the number of private midwives who are providing midwifery services. Mm-hmm. And then what the midwives in the mentorship are encouraged to do is is drag another midwife into their practice, you know, have them come as the second midwife or have them help you. And all of a sudden we've duplicated ourselves again. I love it. So, yeah, my hope is that this mentorship will run its course and then there'll be so many midwives who've done it and who know how to do it that there'll be enough mentors to help any midwife who wants to get into private practice. That's amazing. And for those listening, where do they have to go to apply for this? Okay, so my website's www.melaniethemidwife.com and there's a button on the website that says, you know, give me more information about the launch yourself into private practice midwifery mentorship. It's right at the top of the website and that basically gets you on a mailing list, which is where I send all the information. I don't kind of just like blast it out over social media and say, push the button and enroll. (laughs) 
you know, you get on the mailing list and all the information just comes to you through an email yeah. and you can, there's instruction videos in there and it explains the entire mentorship. And then if it all looks great, you can click the button and enroll and you're in for the year. And if you don't get in that year, you just have to wait till the, the next year to get in. Oh, wow. So there's no application form. It's just hit and go. It's hit and so go. So it's first in best dressed, people. So And I haven't tapped it yet. But if everything, you know, we had 47 last year join. So, you know, there will be a point. I'm one person. I do have helpers, but there will be a point where I can't manage yeah. that many people anymore and I'll need to either cap it or take on helpers. Yeah. So, but for now it's not capped, but it's capped in a way that it's only open for the enrollments are only open for five days. Wow. So you, you, know, you have to, if you know, you know. That sounds amazing. I love that. And I love the fact that you've kind of touched on, you hope like that those mentors then continue to mentor, you know, new people as well and bringing new people into like, it's kind of where we're at, you know, bring people into the village. It's like, let's all yeah. just do this together because we weren't meant to do motherhood by ourselves. We weren't meant to do this mother-loving business by ourselves. We're not meant to actually do anything by ourselves. No. Can I put that out there? Bloody awful. No, I mean everything should be a group effort and we should all have each other's best interests at heart and that's the other issue is that there's a sister wound and a lot of women aren't, you know, helping a sister out and yeah, my whole, I think my basically my whole business model is just help a sister out. Yeah. Be kind and generous and, you know, we'll all succeed. Exactly. I could not agree more. With that, Mel, are you ready for our rapid fire at the end? <gasps> oh, that's exciting. Okay. I love yes, it. I, I, love, I love the passion. So to, you are like on this end of the spectrum. Some people are like, oh, my God, oh, my God, rapid fire, what's going to happen? So No, I love I it. Love, oh, this I is love funny. the passion. Okay. Rapid fire, good. First question, what is your top tip for birthing mothers? I said I was up for rapid fire, but I'm not very rapid. <laughs> top tip for birthing mothers, yeah. choose a team that makes you feel safe wherever you choose to give birth. If you feel safe, you're in the best place that you need to be oh, for birth. I love that. I love that. What is, uh, do you have a go-to resource? You touched on a book already. Is there a workshop or a book or something, hypnobirthing, Carmen birthing or something like that? And I'm just going to do a little uh-uh plug as well because the Birth Rebellion podcast, wow. everyone. <laughs> So that's a given, Birth Rebellion podcast. And for anyone who's been hiding under a rock. It's the Great Birth Rebellion. Oh, the Great Birth Rebellion. I beg your pardon. But that is your podcast with B. What would be your other go-to resource for mamas? Go-to resources for mamas. So, yes, obviously the Great Birth Rebellion podcast. I mean, my Instagram page is full of resources, Melody the Midwife obviously be at core and flora store i love rachel reed's content midwife thinking dr sarah wickham yes sarah buckley she's an australian gp massive on the physiology of birth hannah darlin og i feel like she's like the og original gangster 
uh, Hazel Keedle. Oh my gosh! If I don't mention someone here, I'm going to don't worry. Them. You will not be cancelled if, <laughs> if oh you don't God. mention. I know. I just think start with somebody. Oh gosh! Yeah, I think that's a lot of resources. That's a lot of resources. I do love that yeah. that list. Final question: What do you keep on your bedside table? <gasps> okay, currently on my bedside table, I have a menstrual cup. I have a diffuser with essential oils in it. Can I go and have a look? Absolutely. And I want to know what oils you're, like, burning. Okay. Hang on. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. Oh, she's bought them in, everyone. For all those okay, fired home. Like, I feel like my hands are full of, you know, this will tell you the story of my week. Yes. All right. Please. So please. I have in my hand, I have, magnesium spray oh yes love so i had a bit of a headache last night and i sprayed my neck and shoulders with magnesium spray and i also had a heat pack on my shoulders which which was helping my headache mm-hmm. so that's gone now thankfully and i've been out at a birth all night so that's the remedy for that exactly. um i must have got hungry at one point because there's salted nuts in a oh. container next to my bed Yum. what's your yep. favorite nut uh salted cashews oh yeah girl i have i have a jar of those and like actually my container is like just over there but i i have random containers and jars of salted nuts all across the house as well yeah i love it that must have been that and the last thing which is so special to me is my case full of crochet hooks oh wow because one of my incredible talents is that I'm a magician with a crochet hook and I can make you anything you want. If wow. you show me a thing, I could just crochet it from my mind. Okay. I love, this is why we ask this question, because you learn things about people that I would not have even conceived of finding in your bio when I ask you, please send a bio through. Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. What's your favourite thing that you've crocheted? Oh, well, oh, so many things. If I collected up the things in my house that I'd crocheted, I, I wouldn't be able to carry them all. Oh. Um, I actually, on my website, I make weigh slings. You know, when, when we weigh babies at home, I have this hanging scale yeah. and you need a little kind of sling to put the baby in that hangs from the scale. So I crocheted my own and then midwives started saying, oh my gosh, where did you get that? And I said, I made it. So now I make them every single one by hand and I sell them on my website for midwives. Oh, that's There's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah, but every every winter, everyone in my household gets a new jumper, a new beanie and a new pair of socks that are crochet. And then uh, what else? And everyone's got a blankie on their bed made by mama, of course. Um, yeah, I just always like basically I crochet through births every night. I crochet, uh, anytime I'm just sitting down, probably my head. I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Mel. Again, part one, part one, babe. Like, seriously, I give you any information in this episode. I feel like I don't, but I gave you any. You are the first person, I think, who's actually explained to me and I've asked this question to a couple of people now and I think you're the first person who's kind of really nailed like 
why our birthing system is so shite um, and you haven't beaten around the bush. And I appreciate that. I really, like, genuinely appreciate your honesty um, and being so candid because I think, you know, this podcast, same as yours, it is all about educating and empowering women about decision-making for themselves and their families. And we need to only, like, that's only going to happen through authentic conversations. Um, And so I am so appreciative that you have taken the time, particularly the fact that you've just been at a birth all night, um, (laughs) that you've taken the time to sit down and chat with me. um, And I really think this is going to be so valuable to so many people. And, you know, even for just someone to like kind of sit back and have a think about what is it that I want in birth? You know, what, what is that question that I need to ask myself first before I go out and just call an obstetrician or think I'm going to get the red carpet or maybe on, you know, or have the fear of God in them about having a home birth. Maybe that's actually the best thing for them. So thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, Until next time, thank you. And we will see you in the next episode. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to the Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.